Hello and welcome to the History with Jackson podcast. Now today we are speaking to Professor Hugo Frey. Hi Hugo, how are you doing? Hi Jackson, thanks for asking me. Very pleased to be here. I'm really looking forward to... Good evening. <laughs> well, good evening back to you as well. I'm really looking forward to uh, chatting about the political historical imagination of Jacques Tardy today and I'm really looking forward to chatting to you about it you've uh, you've taught me a lot about this in the past uh, especially from some of your lectures from online so I'm really looking forward to it cool no well done and you know congrats on all your success as well I'm always happy we were just talking about how unusual it is to talk about uh, comic books without showing the pictures (laughs) but actually actually it feels fairly normal now we're doing it so (laughs) Hopefully, anybody out there who's interested in history and its depiction in uh, comics will be interested in this guy, Jacques Tardy, because he's basically the leading figure for drawing comic books in France that are about the First World War and Second World War. And uh, I know Jackson's watched me do an online lecture on this as well. And so hopefully you can see the lecture somewhere out there at some point. And then meanwhile, I'll try and... uh, (laughs) <laughs> make you all interested in Jacques Tardy. Well, I'll make sure that that, uh, that lecture is in the description of the video for anyone who wants to go away and watch that. It is a really, really informative and really enjoyable enjoyable lecture to watch. I, I certainly got a lot from it. Um, so, Hugo, where does your, your interest in French comic books and Jacques Tardy come from? Okay, so the long-term interest is I'm, I'm a specialist historian in uh, modern France originally. And that's what I'm trained in and not comic strips at all, but to do with how the French remembered the Second World War. And uh, as many of you know, France was occupied. Uh, There was effectively civil war conditions between collaborators supporting uh, Hitler and various forms of resistance. And, you know, I'm sure all your listeners know it ends with the Allied victory and liberation. And so my PhD was looking at uh, how the French remembered that very traumatic history of effectively a civil war in the 50s and 60s and and 70s. And in fact, all of my research, in a way, has looked at how France responds to the Second World War. And so I came to it, really, because nobody else was writing about how comic strips were depicting the Second World War in France. Uh, in the 70s and 80s and 90s and so I had a kind of professional interest a sociology of memory in France and Jacques Tardy writes the main uh, history fictional history semi-fictional semi-real histories of, of France and in France he's like a superstar so he's not so well known in the UK but in French museums French bookshops his works uh, a kind of globally known, particularly for looking at the First World War, but he also has some work that links to the Second World War and his father's experiences of that. So that's why, really, he kind of came in my range. I, I'm also a, uh, I like reading comics. <laughs> so we're talking and to I like our things, world. And I like things, doing things that are different uh, and that I enjoy doing. So we're talking to a world leader in uh, the French war narrative through through you, really. I'm really excited to, 
hopefully, yeah. Tar Tardy, <laughs> basically, you know, your your viewers will have heard of Asterix, I guess. And you have the Asterix comics about the little Gaul and the funny fighting against the Romans. And then your viewers will have heard of Tintin. And you have the kind of Tintin action, action, comedy, adventure stories that come from Belgium. And, you know, I'm a historian who never pays too much attention to dates. But, but roughly in the 1970s, Tardy comes along into that world of publishing European comics. And he develops a career telling history stories and uh, primarily around the First World War. And he does it through two formats. He does it through a kind of sci-fi fantasy format, which are the adventures of Adèle Blancsec that are really good fun. And she's a kind of, you know, she's, she's compared to a kind of Indiana Jones type adventurer character. But underneath all of the kind of surrealism and horror and humour, for all the monsters she fights, the real monster is the the First World War that's looming in the background. And of course, killing, you know, so many ordinary, you know, French soldiers and Europeans. And then later in his career, he, he develops a series of really pacifist uh, stories of the trenches. So this one's being translated into English. It was the War of the Trenches. And uh, it's a series of, I was teaching on it and preparing the, the lecture that you've watched. And it, it's really a series of harrowing depictions of the suffering of ordinary people uh, during the First World War. And it, it comes in France and Belgium. He's so famous. It's basically the dominant visual representation of the First World War. So British people will maybe know Blackadder Goes Forth and some other, uh, maybe some other comics to do with the First World War too. But in France, Tardy and the, you know, story of the misery of the First World War from a pacifist perspective, he's, he's famous. And the stories are brutal. The imagery of the drawings are all in black and white. And he uses long panel images to capture that kind of perspective of the trenches. And uh, it's very powerful and very, uh, you know, moving and upsetting stuff. And I guess you wouldn't, you know, some, some of your listeners will be very fans of comics and know that comics can do uh, very serious stories. So there's a famous Holocaust story, Mouse, by Art Spiegelman from America. And people who've heard of that will understand how Tardy can do something similar with the First World War. Uh, but those of your viewers who are more traditional history people, they, you know, they should turn their attentions to graphic novels and comics. And Tardy does this, you know, remarkable treatment of the First World War. And you've you've also mentioned that um, Tardy also works in the World War Two era as well. And and yeah. if we're zooming in on France in the world in World War Two, um, you know what's what's happening to France in World War Two? You know, it's 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 emerged from World War One. Uh, and it's been plunged into you know, another conflict. So what's, what's happening to France in World War II? Co complicated question to answer quickly, but let me, let me try and answer. So, I mean, 
basically uh, Britain and France in the interwar period have maintained democracies and the Second World War breaks out 1939 and we have this period of uncertainty uh, in English sometimes called the phony war and then basically what follows is the military catastrophe of 1940. So for the British we have Dunkirk and the retreat and eventually some kind of uh, attempt to recover through the air war through the Battle of Britain. Now for the French on mainland Europe the summer of 1940 is, is known as the catastrophe. Uh, all of democratic Western Europe is occupied and in June 1940 effectively France slowly enters into a period of high political instability and basically two sides emerge. You have the side associated with a military leader called Pétain who uh, signs an armistice with the German occupiers and instigates effectively a far-right reactionary government which is called the Vichy regime named after the town where he situates his headquarters at a spa town called Vichy that's near Lyon and then you have your other response by the figure that your viewers will have heard of General de Gaulle Charles de Gaulle airport named after him in Paris years later de Gaulle is a junior officer he's fought in the catastrophe battle he does not want to surrender and he rapidly takes a flight to London and on the 18th of June 1940 he uh, broadcasts a message of resistance saying you know we've lost the battle but we haven't lost the war uh, resistance must continue I'm in London and everything that follows in a way is divided between those two tendencies now of course in the middle there's a lot of gray areas and nuances and ordinary people have to come to adjustments but in the high level political history you have the choice of resistance and the choice of collaboration and effectively as the war develops and as the allies gain strength uh, de Gaulle's star rises leading eventually to the victory of the resistance in 44-45 following D-Day uh, landings etc and the story of collaboration uh, declines and effectively loses and however in, in the four-year period of occupation the collaborating regime uh, seeks to build a kind of uh, empire of its own within Nazi-occupied Europe and in part of that, uh, Petain and his ministers instigate their own anti-Semitic legislation uh, without uh, Nazi request. And by the middle of the war become uh, imbricated in uh, full policies of genocide. And so the occupation is a terrible period of political schism, but also under the auspices of Vichy is a, is a period of political shame in its uh, complicity with the Holocaust. And so the end of the war, we see the collaborators defeated, we see de Gaulle returned, but France has been through this terrible trauma, occupation, Holocaust policies on its territory, civil war between resistors and collaborators. And 
the you know we're, we're very lucky Jackson A to be too young to have ever experienced anything like this but equally you know Britain has not been occupied and so we've got this awful experience of occupation and it's only through military victory at the end that leads to the end of the occupation and of course ordinary you know ordinary people in France know who has collaborated who has resisted the resistance become heroes after the war but the coming to terms and conclusion of what an occupation means leads to these after effects in the post-war period that that really in some ways continue to the present day well i was, I was going to so follow on from that i was going to follow on and ask how how did and how does france wrestle with that legacy and how does that affect tardy exactly great great question so basically uh, a famous historian called Henri Rousseau writes a book called the Vichy syndrome that is his take on how France deals with that legacy and he basically says that for a long time after the war they celebrate the resistance and you know very generally speaking to paraphrase sweep under the carpet the crimes of Vichy but then as there's generational change through the late 60s, early 70s, there is suddenly an awareness, my God, what did our relative, you know, what did the older generation do? Uh, what did collaboration mean? And, uh, you know, how had France become complicit in the Holocaust? And so I suppose since the late 60s, early 70s onwards, there's then been uh, an obsession with confronting the shame of collaboration. And I suppose, you know, this is this is kind of broadly my lifetime. Over that 50 year period, uh, France has wrestled with uh, addressing the shame of collaboration, uh, creating memorials, museums, uh, coming to terms with the politics of collaboration. Now, that's the part one of your question. Yeah. Part two is how does Tardy deal with that? Tardy is an interesting figure because he comes from the uh, far left. He is of that younger generation. And I guess he explores these problems in, in two ways or three ways, actually. So one way he explores those problems is through a series of crime, historically set crime comics about a detective called Leo Mallet. And uh, one of those is set uh, during the occupation. And while in the foreground, we have this crime story, in the background, Tardy does reveal, uh, you know, many of the political uh, nuances and cultural activities of what the occupation meant. So uh, it's called, the crime law is called 100, uh, it's the title of an address uh, 120 Rue de la Gare, 120 Railway Street. And so he does do a crime. Uh, the initial treatment is this kind of crime comic where in the foreground there's all the mystery of a crime story, but in the background, an exposition on the history of the occupation. So that's one way he deals with it early in his career. Then I suppose he goes back to the First World War and says, look, you know, I've seen all these movies and stuff about the Second World War, 
but you know my grandfather fought in the first world war and france ordinary french people suffered you know the casualties of the first world war are huge and so i guess he has a kind of pacifist you know a general pacifist tone that gravitates him back to the first world war and then finally i'm looking to my books to my left he and i'm gonna get a bit of it's gonna be a moving image and get another book <laughs> he then jackson you can you should never leave the screen empty, you should just go back to me. <laughs> so he then finally uh, produces a memoir of the experiences of his father, who was a prisoner of war in 1940. And he pulls into attention, uh, this is in his much more recent work, the story of those Germans who were captured in 1940 by the Nazis and held in prison camps. And that's a story that's not been told that much because they weren't in the resistance. So they weren't the heroes of the resistance. They weren't collaborators, but to some extent the collaborating leader always justified some of his pro-German policies by saying, you know, we've got these prisoners of war. We, we you know, we have to be good. So he picks a personal story, the story of his father, and he picks uh, an aspect of the history of the occupation that's, that is actually hugely important and hasn't had much discussion. And that's what happened to the prisoners of war. So the humiliation of being captured and defeated in 1940, and then their life experiences of being moved into the Third Reich to prison camps. So very long-winded answer, but hopefully people are vaguely interested in listening to, to it. He's using pictures and images, the comic strip format, and he's looking at the defeat, 1940. He's looking at general stories of pacifism. And then he, he does do this one crime novel that's early in his career that has the occupation in the backdrop. And it seems that, you know, all these things that you're mentioning in the backdrop, they're exposing different parts of the wars. So how significant is his addition to the French war narrative? And how much how yeah. much is he exposing to the French people through his medium? Yeah, lots is the answer. He he's very, very influential, really. So again, comic strips in France are one of the best selling forms of publishing. So we're not really used to it in the UK, but if you go in a French bookshop, you'll see hundreds of these types of albums, all in the style of Asterix and Tintin that we're more used to. But it's, it's been the growth area of French publishing in the last 25 years. So he is uh, absolutely a significant, a popular representation of history as any movie or any British TV series. So, uh, you know, we're not quite on the level of Downton Abbey or something like that. <laughs> we are, but we're definitely, we're not talking about a minor uh, intellectual thing. They're, they're big news. Uh, they get reviewed in all the major newspapers. Every major bookshop buys them. And I guess uh, since the late 60s, adults have been reading these kind of comics in France. 
So he's huge. Uh, his influence stretches on to museums. So in the anniversaries of the First World War, uh, his iconography and drawing will have been used in museums and public heritage. Uh, he, he is a phenomenon in France, and it's a, it's a big shaping factor, actually. It's probably more important than school teaching. <laughs> they're, they're probably more important than, than university courses. Oh. It's for everybody, you know. Everybody who likes comics can come to this these stories of history that Tardy's making. I suppose it makes it more accessible than a university level course on the same thing. But how how does his does his approach differ from how other people are approaching the topic? Yeah, basically, I guess. Well, you've you've hit you've hit the answer already. Partly the comic strip format gives you a play of words and images and a readability that even for a very traumatic story about the trenches or a traumatic story about defeat in 1940, uh, that material you can read much quicker, the power of the image and the words, the combination of the two together, the accessibility of the format uh, is, a, is a key influence that he has. I guess the other thing that does distinguish him from other people is there are history books of these subjects. Of course, there are great academic historians of the First World War and of the defeat. But really, he, he's taking that research and moving it into popular culture. And there, there is no, you know, he's unique in that sense. There have been other, there are other comic strips, but none of them are significant. And it's his life's work, really. And it's it's so quite... he's he's carved out this space of the French European history comic. And it's it's quite interesting to see that he's he's being quite open with telling his family's story, uh, which you know some people still don't touch upon their their family's position or stories within these world wars. Um, so if you don't mind me asking, you know, can, can you tell us more about, uh, I know you mentioned his father in the prison camps, but can you tell us more about his family's treatments during these, these mad events? Yeah, I, I guess so. Well, mainly I'd recommend your readers to go, viewers to go off and buy the book. And read yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that would be much better than me uh, paraphrasing or picking a page. I guess you're right. The autobiographical gives it a highly personal level and makes it uh, maybe come to life a bit more. And what it does is it takes the dates and the statistics and the big political events and it makes them feel true. And it equally shows the impact of those events on the individual and on like a family unit. So he's able to, it's interesting, you know, your, I don't know how many of your, you know, people who are following you and everything, you know, in England, we talk about like social history and history from below, where you get the perspective of ordinary people or of working class or uh, lower middle class or whatever. What, what he's doing through the uh, autobiographical or the focus of the biographical is, it is a kind of social history 
uh, it's looking at the uh, experiences of people. It's in the drawings, it's showing the objects, the clothes, the kind of uh, the weather of a prison camp, the winter, the cold, uh, the rain, the mud of the trenches, the equipment. So there's a huge amount of visual authenticity. And then there's the authenticity of the individual's life story. And I guess that's that's what he's giving. We, we haven't really, I mean, the nearest we have in English language is the American uh, Holocaust memoir, Mouse, by Art Spiegelman. Uh, that's the comparative, the, the obvious first comparison that does the same. Uh, it's, it's interesting, British war memory of the Second World War isn't really discussed that much here. Uh, you know, it looms in some aspects of popular culture, but uh, I guess we've had the film Dunkirk, uh, other, you know, other films to do with Bletchley Park and that kind of thing. There's, but that, there hasn't been a, a kind of big autobiographical, in, you know, the story of your grandparents or great-grandparents or your viewers' great-grandparents or mine. We haven't really had a major... Uh, okay, here's a question for anyone who's actually listening and email <laughs> Jackson. You know, is there in England an ordinary life story of the Second World War that... that you know, has affected popular culture. I, I don't think there is. It's not my specialism, but I don't think there is. So he, he provides that is something that we haven't got. Well, I, de I, de <laughs> I definitely think people do want to listen to you, Hugo. So don't do not worry about that at all. Um, I, I, <laughs> but I think it's you know it's it's very interesting to see that that differing relationship. Um, between us and the French, given that we were going through similar things at the same time, we were going through, you know, flirts with differing levels of socialism, of course, uh, colonialism, um, capitalism, and so on. And and Tardy represents these in his work. Yeah, uh, he does. But you know, what what position is he writing from, and? Why does he feel that it's so important to try and represent these as opposed to just telling a story? Yeah, I guess he, apart from some kind of personal testimony to his own family, I guess he feels he's on the side of the underdog and of the working class. And there is a kind of, he's a kind of engaged left-wing writer. So he's got his strong desire for historical accuracy and detail and then his strong desire for the personal in uh, certainly in the, the 1941. Uh, he references his older members of First World War victims, as it were. So he's got this personal line, but then underneath it, there is a political line too. And the political line is highly critical of uh, France as a great power, hugely critical of the French state as an imperial state, uh, hugely critical of the military elite in the First World War and the arms manufacturers. Basically a matrix of left-wing interpretation of the uh, failures of the upper class to protect its citizens and in fact throwing them into the you know, mass graves of the First World War. So it's a very critical history underneath. Uh, 
he's a pacifist, he's a socialist, it's a very critical history of a history from below. So there are different views on the First World War, there's lots of like arguments about it, there are many different views on colonialism as well, but he he comes from this very critical tradition. And we can see these, you know, these left-wing views of Tardy, and they emerge in other pieces of work, they're not always there about the Second World War or the First World War. Uh, and he, he works on socialist events in French history as well, um, such as, you know, May 1968. So could you tell us about some of these events and how, and how Tardy works on them? Yeah, uh, a little bit. It's moving out of my area to focus a bit. But yeah, no, he's a machine of historical representation. I could, I could pile up the books. <laughs> so there are other ones in, hidden somewhere in this office. Uh, a series of uh, fictional stories set during the Paris Commune of 1870. So 1870, famous revolution, the first attempt of the workers in Paris to run their own city, crushed by the, the crushed after months. Something that Marx and Lenin looked to as an example of revolution. So he's done books on the uh, Paris Commune, 1870. He's done uh, a commemorative uh, illustrated book with popular songs and a CD of protest songs around the uh, kind of complicated uh, student riots and disputes of the end of the 60, 60s, so-called May 68. And so I guess he's there, it's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Very good question, Jackson there he's celebrating the struggle of the left whereas in the war books he's showing the victims of the right great, great it, question yeah it seems to be that he's about his work again yeah. And you. so yeah basically he either celebrates the uh struggles of the left or the uh or, or commemorates and exposes how people are the victims of the right. It, it seems to be a, you know, a historical biography timeline throughout his his work of of the left and how it's evolved from from being that um, revolution to right through to the world wars on you know what's happening and how it's emerging, right to you know modern day. Uh, socialism to protecting people and the working rights and like you said earlier history from below and it's it's very interesting to know that people are able to depict that in a different way than just the creating an academic textbook yeah no very good point too uh yeah but it's it's it, it is a unique he is a kind of unique phenomenon in european history actually and people should be more interested it's been translated, you can read quite a lot in English now, and you're spot on, because what, what he's doing is he's telling life stories, semi-fictional, semi-historical stories that taken together form this huge uh, archive of a his vision of the 20th century, which, uh, you know, without repeating the same point, really is a vision of acknowledging the sufferings of the ordinary people and arguing against war and showing the consequences of war, uh, showing the consequences of empire as well, but primarily war. And then 
contributing to commemorations of revolution. Uh, he also does fun stuff too, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Is, I mean, some of these things seem, and you know, many of them are very heavy, as it were, and quite political, as we've been saying. But the early series, the 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 kind of horror stories of Paris, with monsters and mad scientists and crazed archaeologists, the the work that made him famous at the beginning of his career, the Adventures of Adèle Blanc, they're very satirical, they're very funny. They've got the moments of bleakness, but but in the stories of Blancsec, she fights dinosaurs, uh, pterodactyls flying over the Eiffel Tower, uh, crazy monsters coming out of the canals of Paris. Uh, there's a sci-fi, you know, huge sci-fi, satirical sci-fi fantasy element to them. And yet in the background, the victims are the ordinary people and the corrupt of the politicians and the arms manufacturers and the generals so they're much more fun i mean i have to admit i read i started this kind of journey of being interested in these things seriously i suppose about 20 years ago and that was when i discovered adele blanc and bought all the books and was like they were like the coolest thing i'd ever read and <laughs> just wanted to read them and read them and then i've done many other things in between i as as you know, I dot around in my research and interests. And then this autumn, you know, being asked to do a talk about Tardy or offering to do one in, a, in America online, I, I suddenly came back to look at it all again and tried to summarise, uh, you know, what he might mean. No. I need to do, you know, this is, you know, this is not the product of uh, six years of research. It's, it's an on-off uh, fascination with Tardy Ooh. and in the end I thought who do I want to talk about to these American students somebody somebody else is doing Tintin I can't I can't do Tintin <laughs> well who, who, who else am I interested in who do I actually admire and I guess I do think Tardy's very interesting I hadn't read his production he produces these you know one or two of these nearly every two or three years until like re-dipping in I hadn't read the the stories of the defeat the 1941 because i've been doing other stuff well like most historians we all have a variety of different interests we all dot in and out of things so i wouldn't blame you at all for dipping in and out of different interests now we here in britain we have a national epic you know a, a national story which we all kind of conform to uh, probably the best example is he marshall's our island story which is, tends to be the the given version of events, regardless of how accurate those events are. Um, you know, the French do have their own national narrative and their own epics and Charlemagne or Charlemagne and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, how how does Tardy differ from that national epic? Yeah, good, good question. Again, sorry to sound annoying when I answer your questions, but they are good. And it gives me some minutes to think about how I might answer. So that's that's a difficult question. He he sits within it. He sits within a uh, a. I suppose the first part is what is the French national story, and the truth is there are many different versions depending on the time and the political emphasis. But I suppose he fits within a story of celebrating revolution, the republic, 
liberty, fraternity, equality. He sits within a story of wanting to improve France. So the revolution is a story of improvement. So away from monarchy to democracy. Now we know there's huge problems and we have empires and collaboration and many faults in between, but the original, you know, the spirit of the Republic is to improve. And so we have liberty, the, the freedom of speech. We have equality, which could be, you know, economic equality or equality of rights. And fraternity, again, friendship could be the story of more social improvement. So he actually sits within a, a traditional French national story of the left. And I guess as an artist, the liberty of expression is important for him. Uh, the, the secular nature of that national story as well. So it's that we the people, not not some preordained uh, monarch uh, in a in a theological world system, but the ordinary people live by liberty, fraternity, and equality, and that it's for the people to decide that that version of democracy. Now I'm sounding very wistful and romantic <laughs> about you know French republicanism. For anybody listening, I know there are many many problems with it all. I know it can be critiqued, but to answer Jackson's smart question, he sits within that socialist tradition of republican improvement. It's, but it's, by celebrating revolution and criticizing counter-revolution. It's quite interesting to see that someone who does criticize the regime uh, and has criticized Fra oh, France's past um, still sits within that national narrative still sits yeah. within that that idea of what france is and it's very like in most places someone who will sit back and criticize sits outside of that national uh, narrative and yeah. french the french embrace of his his narrative and his storyline is very interesting to see because that doesn't necessarily happen everywhere no it doesn't and he he's unique and in that sense french the story of the republic is a is a kind of unique national history. It's, you know, the left, the left exists in France. Yeah, you know, it's not my, you know, field of research really at all, but the strong left tradition that's loyal to that idea of making the Republic a better place all the time is, is very strong. Now it, it faces the problems that, you know, we're, we're familiar with, with the challenges around freedom of speech and religion and post-colonialism. So it's, it's certainly not without its problems, but he does sit broadly within that field. Now, uh, I guess he's, I guess his, his, his uh, contribution is a revelation of the horrors of the First World War. That's his prime revelation to that narrative, that the Republic went wrong that the, the First World War was a, was a disaster, that the ordinary people suffered, ordinary Germans, ordinary Brits, uh, Australians, you know, towards the end of one of the stories, we see, you know, the colonial troops of the British and French suffering, the Americans have been pulled into the war. Basically, 
he contributes the emphasis of this cataclysm of the First World War for ordinary people. And, you know, that's under the Third Republic. And I guess it, the imperial rivalries that contribute to the outbreak of the war, uh, that, that's his kind of historiographic point. He, he cut, like, like we started with at the very beginning, he does comment on Vichy and he does comment on the fall of France. And he's, you know, palpably aware of the horrors of the occupation. Uh, but in terms of his, you know, this is just my opinion, in terms of his long-term impacts, the, the pulling of the, the troubles of the First World War to our attention is, is a primary uh, contribution of Tardy. I mean, the story of the ordinary soldiers in 1940 is, is very important too, because in many ways it could be forgotten without this kind of you know, popular representation. Oh, it's very interesting. So, yeah, oh. I, do, uh, I do like it. I find it very yeah. interesting. No, I don't, you're, I don't. Right to, you're right to say he's unique. We don't have a, there is no sustain, you know, again, send emails to Jackson, not me. <laughs> uh, is, there, is there a British cultural, one British cultural figure of any political persuasion who systematically over their whole career has developed a narrative of British 20th century history. I don't know. I'm not an English expert. Uh, and you know, English not other the English contemporary novel of the 20th century. Uh, Ian McEwan, maybe people might mention. Uh, Martin Amis, people might mention in terms of fiction, but they're not. They're not quite, you know, there's not the sustained modern historical novelist or graphic novelist at all. And then if you look at film and television, we have famous series, miniseries, episodes, things come and go, but they're made by different teams of people. He's like a single, he draws and writes. He has, he collaborates with researchers, but he's like a single artistic phenomenon in that sense. Well, I'm very happy to be inundated with emails regarding this, and I will pass anything on to Hugo. Yeah, tell, us, tell, tell us who in British popular culture has written a sustained historical narrative of the 20th century. And I find it quite interesting his his yeah. international like internationalization of that cultural memory. You know, when when we the British look at you know world wars, we look at it from our perspective. And we don't necessarily look at it from you know a an empire sense or perspective a commonwealth perspective we don't look at it from a european perspective and same with the americans the americans tend to look at things from their own soldiers perspective within these things so it's very interesting to see that he's you know like you've just said picking up how it's affected the germans the australians the british yeah. and so on yeah that that comes from his socialism and there's this internationalism behind it and his sense that the ordinary people suffered the same on every side. So I guess you, you have that a little bit in, you know, the famous myths of, uh, you know, British soldiers playing football with German soldiers during the Christmas truce of the First World War. That's a kind of hint of that. But uh, you're right, he, he's, he strongly uh, advocates a kind of internationalism that shows that the ordinary soldiers 
on every side have suffered. And, and that, of course, includes colonial troops. And it, I think it's quite, it's it's probably forward thinking from when he, he wrote it that nowadays we tend to, oh, now we're getting these, these opening up of colonial history and international narratives. And from, well, from where I'm sitting and from what you've taught me, that, um, you know, Jacques Tardy was ahead of, or was and probably still is ahead of his time in terms of these narratives. Yeah, I'm just, just looking through the First World War book to make sure I'm not making it up because that would be <laughs> a very sensible for a historian, really. So he, uh, he certainly does include these references out. Yeah, here we go. We have a pauvre Sikh, so a Sikh soldier in the British colonial army. And this is the First World War book that he first publishes in 1993. So he's, you know, academic historians in Britain, you know, I, I just more or less finished my history degree in 1993. And we, you know, we were questioning these things then as well, but I guess in British society more generally, it's, it's more recent. The debates have become more foregrounded much more recently. So yes, he, he is ahead of his time. That, and that really um, is sorry Hugo what I was going to say is equally he's unique in terms of using drawings drawings and comics and then you, you know that's that's you know just looking at the images here, they're, they're so brutal and so real and you know you can read the books in an hour or two or you can look at the pictures and you know meditate on them for as long as you like because they're very powerful and then in terms of, you know, Jacques Tardy, like we've said, he's a, he's a, he's a cartoonist, he's an artist. Um, and there's been a lot of artists who have depicted certain, certain people in different ways. Um, I can't quite remember his name off the top of my head. And I think he used to depict certain soldiers as pairs uh, within his cartoon. So does, does Tardy do any of this? Uh, no, he's more realistic. Basically, he's super realistic. Uh, he he draws he the, the the drawing style is slightly cartoony, but always with a strong uh, emotional realism to it. So, uh, yeah, in, interesting one for for few, you know for history teachers out there maybe wanting to get students interested in a topic. His, his drawings are brutally, you know, in, in It Was the War of the Trenches, the drawings are brutally realistic, but have a slightly cartoony style. So he kind of fulfills the needs of a comic by being not photographs, uh, not paintings, but there is a kind of cartoony realism to them. He, in the, in the story of his father, he includes a little boy who is logically him and the there's a kind of underlying conversation from the past to the future. So that's a, a little bit of a kind of artistic technique where you, uh, where you, you know, we, we have, I don't know how we could do it. We could draw you and me walking around, uh, you know, a industrial factory 
talking to a worker going, well, you know, what was it like in the factory? So he, he does a bit of time uh, playing with time by having a, a perspective of the present a little bit encoded into the past uh, by drawing a, uh, drawing a kind of commentator. And then sticking with the idea of the present, how, you know, we, he's a very popular figure. Uh, they, like you said, you, they see him as like a superstar in France. But that's the people. You know, how does the establishment view Tardy? Uh, I think they celebrate him too, actually. Maybe because of the, again, this would be subject to hours of research that I've not done. So, uh, you know, very keen to hear views on this again to, to Jackson or me from anybody interested listening. There are, there are definitely experts on Tardy, far more specialists than I am out there. So, you know, send us a message if you ever come across it. But the impression that I get, and that's just from, uh, you know, looking from some interest, is, you know, he's celebrated, he's honoured, uh, he's a national figure in a way because of that situating within the Republican story. And then I guess the general public's attitude to the First World War is broadly shared with his. And, you know, the the idea of the war as a terrible catastrophe is, is probably the kind of dominant view. And so, uh, again, people must check, but I'm pretty sure that I've seen, you know, use of his images in posters for museums. Uh, he's mainstream, you know, it's interesting. You, you picked up on it, again, an interesting point for people not not living in France is that on the one hand, he's got this kind of line of interpretation and it all feels kind of new and avant-garde, but actually he's pretty celebrated and, you know, every mainstream bookshop, posters in the bookshop windows, uh, definitely, you know, influence on first world war museums, the hundredth anniversary, you know, he himself is a, is a national treasure in a way. He's, he, on the one hand, he, you know, I, he, he's clearly of the left, but I guess there's a broad consensus around the First World War as a catastrophe. Okay. And then, you know, if, if our listeners want to go away and learn more about Tardy and French history or just read um, some work that Tardy has done, which, which ones would you recommend? Okay, so definitely any of the Adèle Blanc-Sec uh, fantasy fiction books that uh, basically trace uh, the misadventures of Adèle Blancsec, a lady heroine living in Paris on the eve of the First World War. And they're entertaining and poignant and funny and brilliantly drawn and colourful and clever. And I'm afraid I haven't read them for an awful long time. <laughs> when I read them, they made me want to study comics again. So I think they're great. Then it was the War of the Trenches is the definitive uh, First World War uh, account. So I would go with those. And then the, the memoir of his father is a, is a very personal account for people interested in military history and people who probably uh, wouldn't, would be very interested in the Second World War and want to know more about the prisoners of war. Uh, the crime ones are great too. 
So the crime novel adaptations of Leo Malay are a kind of detective series set in and around 40s, 50s France. Uh, they're quite bleak, uh, but they're, they're, they're for people who love Paris. Paris is the other thing I've not talked about. <laughs> the city of Paris is central in a lot of his work. And uh, the Leo Malay adaptations, the crime novels are all set in different parts of Paris. And so, you know, you can read them and then think you're in Paris. That's pretty he, loves, he, loves, he loves drawing Paris. So they're good for anybody who likes Paris and French history. It's a good lockdown read just to get a little bit of an escape. So if you can't go to Paris, read a, Renate, uh, uh, read a Jacques Tardy graphic novel. And then our final fun question, as we do for all our guests here on the History of Jackson podcast, what three graphic novels or cartoons or comics regardless if they're tardy or not are your favorites okay so difficult uh so let me think about this well i suppose there are no favorites as such but the three the three for people to read to have different different perspectives on the world uh, we, we definitely have Art Spiegelman's Mouse, which is from America and is the famous uh, memoir of the Holocaust and Holocaust surviving and not surviving. So definitely Art Spiegelman's Mouse. Uh, Marianne Satrapi's Persepolis on uh, her story of migration to Europe uh, from troubled Middle East. And then, yeah, let's go with, with the complete works of Jacques Tardy because there are so many, I'm not going to pick one. <laughs> well, it's quite... We'll go with we'll the, the complete works of Jacques Tardy, which is a lot. Uh, no, even I haven't read all of them because the, there are a lot. That's quite a broad selection, but having, having read Mouse myself, you know, I think that is an absolutely phenomenal piece of work and I would I would recommend to absolutely anyone who can get their hands on that to go and have a read of it because it, it is just truly fascinating and truly amazing so thank you yeah, very much Hugo. Uh, no thank you jackson it's another good example of how a personal story can be told through a, a comic strip format that then will give you as as history buffs and history fans or history students it'll just give you a different all of these things give you a slightly different twist and will help you think again about the types of history you're interested in. So on that uh, on oh. that point, I will thank you, Jackson. <laughs> so thank you for ever so much for asking me. And you know, actually once again, you know, many, many congratulations on you know your success. Oh, thank you in, very uh, much. Being brave and innovative <laughs> and creating a YouTube channel is very clever. And if anyone wants to keep up to date <laughs> with you online, uh, where can they find you? Well, I, they cannot find me anywhere, to be okay. honest. <laughs> the short answer to that question. I'm, they can find, if they Google me on Amazon or on uh, JSTOR or in their university library, basically, I let my books and writings and public activities uh, sell themselves. Very old-fashioned. I have occasional promotion from the university marketing department. But overall, I let my publishers promote me and my books are in most university libraries. So 
that's that's where people can find me. Hugo Frey, any university library catalogue. And your and your so complete and your complete catalogue work is available on your university profile as well, if I'm correct. It, it is. It's a little bit out of date. There's been more stuff since then. Basically, my works on graphic novels are with Cambridge University Press, and you'll see those on their website and on Amazon, and then books on French cinema, all on. You know, I don't know if I'm supposed to promote Amazon or not, having talked about Jacques Tardy and the rest, but. <laughs> Uh, I just love buying books, so I'm afraid my my own, uh, leftist credentials just uh, collapse at the possibility of the quickest word buying a book. So yeah, basically in all good bookshops and awesome. university library blogs and JSTOR occasionally. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Hugo. No, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. No, thank you. It's good fun. It's very good fun. <laughs>